Hello everyone, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the dystopian movies we fell in love with and what they can teach us about the dystopian lives we lead every day. I'm your host, Cameron Buzard-Jamari, and for today's episode, we will be discussing that classic 2002 Tom Cruise sci-fi detective mystery movie, Minority Report. You know the one. It's the one where he's running all the time. No, not that one. Here, it's it's set in Washington, D.C. in the year 2054. It's, it's, it's in a future where we're so good at fighting crime that we have to make up crimes before they happen. Yeah, you, you got it? Yeah, that one. Okay, so this, that might have been a little reductive, but anyway, here are the cliff notes. In the movie, there are three mutants. Uh, mutant? I think they're mutants? I don't know. They're, they have special powers. And according to the original descriptions of the mutants, they can see the future. But the problem is they also often see different futures. They basically have a hyperactive imagination that can see every possible future all the time, which sounds like the most painful, persisting migraine you can imagine. When at least two of them start to see the same future, then it's believed that that future will come true. I'm of course referring to the precogs, and I won't spoil the rest of it for you because it's like one of my favorite movies and it's a solid watch. But lately, I've been thinking more and more about this movie because of how the movie tackles ideas of using technology to identify, track, and pass judgment on individuals. And it's technology that exists right now. Let me pivot here for a moment. What you likely don't know about me is I am a privacy engineer, or at least that's one of the many hats I wear. Among other things, I have a master's in privacy engineering and two certifications that absolutely no one cares about. But it's all to say I have a big privacy brain and I like to show it off sometimes. But above all of this, I love the questions that float around privacy. I like to think that it's why I'm so good at sweating the small stuff. Because nowadays, everything you say, do, and sometimes think is being recorded and tracked and disseminated for all sorts of uses. And most of the time, you don't know how, why, or by whom. You just reap the consequences. Sometimes it's as benign as a Google search, and other times it can be as malignant as getting caught in the gears of a poorly managed shadowbot ban system, or even being accused of the wrong crime. And that's why I love this movie. It's a movie that I think is so poignant right now. Yes, it has an interesting take on the prison industrial complex, or how we resign ourselves to a higher purpose to feel we are doing the right thing. All of which are excellent ideas for future episodes, and please do hit me up if you want to hear those. But what blows my mind is how a movie from 2002, set in 2054, based on a short story from 1956, has so many parallels in the year 2020 that affect the world around us, but not in the way you might think. And the three I want to cover today are biometric identity, AI and behavior prediction, and targeted advertising. I know some of them seem more obvious than the others, but trust me, once we get the ball rolling, you'll see how wild it gets. So, without further ado, let us begin our menagerie of dystopian events from Minority Report Made Real with biometrics. So in the movie, Mr. Cruz and his many friends all move through society tied to their biometric data, specifically the citywide optical recognition system. This is a system that, based on how it is shown in the movie, seems to operate off of identifying an individual through a mix of their iris and retinal scan. Now, for those of you who don't know, biometrics, in its most distilled form, is the measure and calculation of the body, and you can't get more textbook than that. It's often considered to be extremely unique to the individual, just like the composition of your face, 
the patterns that make up your iris and patterns of the blood vessels on your retina. All these things are considered unique enough to measure any one individual uniquely. In the movie, when Mr. Cruz is fleeing the police, he actually has to go underground and get an eye transplant so that they won't be able to track him because it is supposedly so unique and the system is so ubiquitous that if he goes anywhere in the city, they would be able to identify him almost immediately. But this isn't some far off technology. I'm sure many of you have had fingerprint scanners at work in those laptops and phones and things that you have seen and used all over the place. But you're not the only ones who benefit from this. Governments use them too. Believe it or not, our faces are extremely unique and the Chinese government knows this. That is why they have installed countless facial recognition towers throughout the country for tracking citizens and assigning scores to their behavior. This is quite literally all over China, and this practice is so well known that those critical to the Chinese government, such as Hong Kong protesters, have taken to wearing masks and actively destroying these towers for fear that the government could use this to target and harass them as protesters. On the flip side, India has instituted a nationwide system that uses fingerprints, photos, and iris scans to track citizens to ensure they can receive benefits. And while this may seem fairly well received by the Indian populace, they have suffered from the opposite problem in that a mix of enrollment and technical difficulties mean there are many people who have not or could not be enrolled in the systems. To those people, they're effectively invisible, meaning they cannot receive benefits from their own government because their government has no way to identify them without their biometric data. The other big thing about biometric data is much like any other technology, when it becomes commonplace and it can be used to so uniquely identify an individual, it becomes very problematic because if you are a Chinese protester and you are wearing a mask, it doesn't matter if you're wearing a mask just because you don't want to be recognized or because you're a protester, you're suddenly part of the same group, even if you have no intention to protest. And these subtle ripple effects can drastically affect how people behave in public throughout their entire existence. Now I'm sure you're thinking, Cameron, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard in the most horrifying way I can imagine, and I hope it never affects me. Yeah, I agree, listener, and you should totally hit me up, but unfortunately, we have so many other topics we have to get to, so I'm going to move us right along to our next topic, AI and big data. In Minority Report, crimes are predicted by psychic future mutants who live in a perpetual blurry lark filter and only see the world that way based on those strange monitors that you see overhead. In the movie, they're intended to prevent murder, but in the original story, they could see all manner of crime. They were used for shoplifting, any sort of theft, and of course the occasional murder. But what I don't imagine the author expected was that when we are able to collect information on how and where everyone goes, we could just make machines that do this work for us. Many technologists have debated the importance of biometrics. On the one hand, it may be valuable for authenticating people, basically determining if you have permission to access a computer and giving you that permission. Like when you put the thumb on the thumbprint scanner of your phone, or when you smile at your windows lock and it unlocks while also taking a sick selfie of you, I assume. Others say biometrics should only be used to identify folks and that if someone's biometrics are compromised, like Mr. Cruz has demonstrated in all of his Mission Impossible movies, then it's pretty obvious that you can't replace your irises and fingerprints, or at least 
If you do and have to go to a black market dealer who leaves you rotten milk and rotten sandwiches, you're not going to have a great time. But regardless of how you see it, many agree that the use of biometrics can undermine someone's expectations to privacy because of the confidence that this kind of data can give to someone's actions. If every single thing I do in a day is perfectly tied to my identity because of my fingerprints, iris, facial recognition, gait, etc., then I have no expectation that I can do anything that's just private, just secret, just for me. And believe it or not, though we may all look different, we often act the same. If you can see and record every action everyone takes, then you could look for patterns and be able to predict the next action someone might take based on the previous actions of countless others. This is the driving force behind big data and AI. And for those of you who don't know, big data at its core has the single goal of collecting all of the data, like all of it. Yeah, even, even that, whatever you're thinking of right now, someone somewhere has a startup trying to figure out how to collect that specific piece of data. But once we have all that data, it's kind of useless. This is where AI and machine learning steps in. Instead of us trying to tell a computer what patterns to look for, we can just feed it all the data and the machine can figure out for itself. So it knows that when you open your phone and you feed it an ad for, I don't know, Domino's, you have a higher likelihood of getting a certain part of the populace to order Domino's. Asterisk, this episode is not sponsored by Domino's. Now, there are countless ways of slicing and dicing data to figure out these patterns, but the point is, this is in no way fantasy. This is a very real thing that's happening right now. In fact, the state of California passed a law in which they intend to use machine learning to help determine who should have to pay bail because they found that the people who are currently doing it had unintentional biases that caused them to set much more stringent bails for minorities and people of low income. And as weird as it sounds, what's important to remember about all of these technologies I'm talking about is they're just tools. No technology in itself is bad, and California hopes to use it for good in their courts. But when you are the victim of this mass system that's ruled by machinery, it can feel like technology is bad. Sometimes it can be just the unintentional consequences of our technologies, which more or less brings us to our final topic, targeting and ads. Weirdly, despite all the creations and amazing wonders I have just described to you, I think the one that hits closest to home is actually targeted ads. In the movie, it's implied that they can use the sum of your actions to build a profile of you. Then, when you walk by a billboard that scans your eye, it can start to display ads for things that it thinks you are more likely to buy based on your profile. Hence, me not wanting Domino's. I'm sure many of you are aware of targeted ads. Usually, it's just in your browser somewhere, almost always trying to get you to play Farmville. I don't know what it is about Farmville, but if you go anywhere near Facebook or any of its affiliate sites, it'll be there. While that is an example, what blows my mind is how accurate the example from the movie actually is. You see, typically when you interact with a site like Facebook, they're already trying to figure out who you are. But what you may not have realized is that every app and tool in your phone is trying to do the same thing. They're all collecting and sharing data about your location, actions, and purchases, trying to build a profile of who you are so they can target you with the stuff they think you will value most. But what the movie gets wrong is that they don't need your iris to do it. 
What I don't think Philip K. Dick, the original writer of the story, could have imagined was the proliferation of smartphones. It is better than any biometric because smartphones are actively telling the world who you are, where you are, and what you are doing. You don't need a fancy iris scanner or facial recognition towers to get the same results. And what's weirder still is what the movie did get right. Imagine it. You're at the mall. You're looking for some stylish new socks. As you enter the mall, you walk past a kiosk with a, I don't know, door-sized screen on it. In a moment, the screen changes to show sales going on at Stylish Sock Warehouse. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and trademark that right now. Um, Stylish Sock Warehouse, I should point out, is not a real company, but it will be in about five minutes. Back to the story. The screen isn't on a loop. It detects your phone's ID. It knows your specific phone and uses it to look up your profile and takes a best guess at what it thinks you want to see. And this is happening right now. I mean, the, the sock warehouse thing isn't happening right now, but there is a company right now called Five Tier that has created its entire business around targeted digital billboards. Whether you're in a small town mall, stuck in bumper to bumper traffic, or wandering Times Square, New York, a digital billboard is doing its best to get your attention. And I cannot stress this enough. If you think that a billboard is showing you the exact thing you want to see right now, that's because it actually is. They have antennas built into them that are able to detect your phone's IP address or Mac address and using that information, figure out who you are, what your profile might be, and sell you something. Weirdly enough, I would like to give a shout out to Planet Money in that they did an excellent episode on billboards and even had a billboard advocate shout out the importance of targeted ads in billboards. So if you want to check that out, I suggest you go over to their podcast. All of this to say, Philip K. Dick, I am very impressed. I'm mesmerized that in 1956, you were able to publish a short story that so incredibly predicted technologies that we interact with every day in a way that we can't even imagine. And yeah, now I imagine you, humble podcast listener, are fairly paranoid as to all the ways the black box in your pocket feeding you this podcast right now is also sending your data out into the world. But here's the actual takeaway I want you to know from this episode. It's okay. It's okay to feel weird and uneasy. This is a weird thing to grapple with. This, this is like the best sci-fi you can get because it's the kind of thing that no one really thinks in the moment will be real until it's staring you right in the face. But what's important to remember is that it's all just technology. And this technology is all around us. It's just such a part of our lives that we forget its real cost. So my one ask, my one thing I want you to take away from this episode is when you're reaching into your pocket to pull out your phone, you're about to go into the Play Store or the App Store and install that next app, I want you to really take your time to think about what you're signing up for and see how much you can really trust them with who you are. Because every app you have installed on your phone is you saying, I trust this company with my data. And I'll admit, not all apps are as transparent with their data practices. So but before we go, I'm gonna give you one more pro tip. My alma mater, Carnegie Mellon University, has a website called privacygrade.org. For those of you who don't know, this is a website where people at Carnegie Mellon go through the actual source code of applications. They decompile them, look at 
why those apps say they need access to specific pieces of data and try to figure out if the source code that makes up the application matches what they're asking for. And based on that, they provide a grade. So when Google Maps says it needs your location data, it gets an A because it's supposed to be using it primarily to get you from point A to point B, and it'll be really helpful to know where you are. But if that flashlight app is asking for your contact information, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So he's probably not gonna be getting a passing score. With that information in mind, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you haven't already, please do go and enjoy that incredible masterpiece that is Minority Report. As for us at Swaying the Small Stuff, if you want to get in touch, let us know what you think about the episode. You can hit us up on Twitter, Instagram. We have a Discord. All that information you can find on our website, smallstuff.show. And please do feel free to reach out. We really like hearing from you guys. And we just like knowing that people are getting some value out of our show. As for me, I've been your host, Cameron Buzard-Jamari, reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. No, but like, seriously, why is Tom Cruise always running?